I noticed uh, the calculator watch on a flyer that came to the door, a watch with a, with a calculator pad on it. It had tiny little black buttons and each number had a gold sticker trim uh, around it. 20 years ago, this was really, really cool. Uh, who would want a calculator watch? And I was asking for it for Christmas and I got it for Christmas. I got it uh, just as I had hoped. And I'm, I'm not sure if as a 13 year old, I ever made any calculations. Uh, maybe uh, for my allowance, I'm sure my parents spent a lot on that little tiny calculator watch, but it didn't live up to the hype. Uh, discouraged, I stopped wearing it some months later. Later in my 20s, I, I got to serve in my first church. Uh, the church board uh, wasn't really all that organized, and I was a bit of a mess. I, I didn't know how to lead or preach or counsel. I hadn't been to seminary. It was my first ministry job, uh, but it was a disappointment, a huge disappointment. Uh, on a bigger scale than some little calculator watch. I didn't know it would be so hard to be a pastor. And so disappointed and discouraged, I just checked out of church ministry for about 10 years. I, I did other pastoral type work in the hospital, the university, but not for the church. And today I still get dis discouraged and disappointed, uh, not just by little calculator watches, but big things like COVID. I remember being 30 and seeing all my friends just kind of looking around uh, and being like, oh man, uh, so this is it. Like, I'll be the guy who's uh, the single guy. And for others, this kind of discouragement settles in when you're 40. And I just thought I'd be somewhere further along. For others at 70 years old, I, I, I thought I would have seen more, or accomplished more. I thought I would have believed more, or done more in faith for the Lord. I, I, I thought I would have been further along. See, discouragement can come when in life, you know, when, when kind of life lets you down or when people lets you down, but also when, when you let your, yourself down. And, uh, and maybe that's the worst kind of discouragement. And hope means there's, there's a point to get up in the morning and discouragement is what's the point? And, and, and disappointment and discouragement with God is, is the hardest kind. You know, we'd hoped with our prayers, you know, God would come through with that job or that plan or that pregnancy or that marriage or you, you fill in the blank. And you think to yourself, maybe there's a good shepherd out there somewhere, uh, but somehow he's taken the rest of the sheep in. And he's left me out in the bitter cold. So, so we give up. Uh, well, sort of. Uh, we, we, we've turned to some comfort and forget that discouragement and and uh so some it, it might be the harmless ears of a friend and for others it might be the shopping mall or today amazon for others netflix and for me i never went to booze or or food to numb but a big a big comfort for me has always been just the rush of work you kind of some kind of activity you can kind of numb the the hard places to go in your heart and you can kind of numb your own circumstances if you just kind of keep working, kind of hand to the plow. Uh, for our two travelers today in, in our text, in our Bible passage, they, they can't go to Amazon or Netflix, so they go to Emmaus, uh, seven miles from Jerusalem. Uh, what's this sermon all about? The, the sermon's all about the more you experience life, uh, the more you uh, see things around you, divorce, death, disease, and the more that kind of hits you, like, the disloyalty of people or the disapproval of people or the many other disappointments of life, the more you experience what seems like reality, the harder it can be 
uh, to trust God and to believe that he has a bigger picture uh, in mind. So I, I used to think that the inability to trust God comes from the, the brain. Up in our text today, uh, the most impenetrable barriers to belief are not the ideas in the head, but the feelings in the heart of disappointment. Uh, so I look at this one line in our text today, but we had hoped that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. And all week long in my study, I couldn't get away from that one line. We had hoped, we'd hoped, we'd hoped. And so here in our, in our text, you have kind of hope like at its, at its last, its last thread. Uh, and so we're, you're either there today or, or you will be there. So it's, it's worth our while to uh, listen carefully uh, to the text, to God's word. Uh, this is the Emmaus disciples, uh, Luke 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to the village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. They were, they were kept uh, from recognizing him. It, interesting, eh? Like, they couldn't recognize him. Uh, and then, then he asked them, what's, what's this dispute you're having with each other as you're walking? And they, they stopped walking and they, they, looked, uh, they looked discouraged. Uh, and that's, that's our word. And, and one, the one named Cleopas answered him, are, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened here in these days? What things, he asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hope, we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find the body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it. But as the woman said, uh, they, they, but they didn't see him. Uh, they, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer all these things and enter into glory? So Jesus is like, come on, guys, like, where, where's your faith? Uh, foolish, he calls them. So pr pretty strong words from Jesus in today's text. Uh, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And they came near the village where they were going, and he gave them the impression that he was moving along further. But they urged him, saying, stay with us, because it's, it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. Just as they realized that they, they've been hanging out with Jesus all day, Jesus is gone. And, and they said to each other, uh, weren't our eyes burning with, burning, or weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us along the road and explaining the scripture to us? That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those with them gathered who said, the Lord has truly been with, the, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had all happened to them on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. 
Uh, this is God's word. Uh, let's pray. God, would you open up your word to us uh, as you opened up uh, your word uh, to these uh, Emmaus uh, Road disciples? Uh, speak through your word to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we had hoped, I couldn't get away from this one line all week, this one line, the sense of discouragement from our two travelers. Not discouragement from a spoiled marriage, uh, not discouragement from work, not discouragement in the face of an economic recession. They're discouraged because they, they had this, they had this kind of like, like a box, right? Um, and they, they put Jesus into this box. And what happened was, uh, as they, they put Jesus into the, that box, they, they realized that he didn't, he didn't fit uh, into it at all. Uh, he, he didn't. I, I mean, they, they, they say it. Like, they, they say, you know, we, we had hoped. Uh, uh, that, like, rather than search for some miracle back in Jerusalem, they go back home to Emmaus. They kind of throw in the towel, so to speak. They'd fix their sights on the glory of, of a restored Jerusalem, the glory of their, their movement leader in Jerusalem, having overthrown their Roman oppressor and ruling from a throne, perhaps. But their movement leader's now just dead. So now they leave Jerusalem on this seven-mile hike back to Emmaus, uh, perhaps their home. Uh, they're just going home. Uh, in, in my research for the sermon, I, I came to relate to them. They're just normal people who lost their hope. And for them, Jerusalem is where they've been let down. So they kind of just pack their bags and, uh, yeah, just to see if maybe they can leave their discouragement behind. So the two travelers journey back to where they had always found comfort. It's not Netflix, not the mall, not the ears of a friend, but Emmaus. Emmaus is where they go in their place of discouragement. And where's your Emmaus, you know? Where do you like to go? Um, you look at the two travelers on the road to Emmaus and you say, well, why go home now? Like, couldn't you hang on a little bit? Uh, but their Lord is dead. They can't continue. Uh, you think, but associated with Jesus' death was like this big earthquake, wasn't there? Like, wasn't it dark for hours? Like, had not friends in your own circle, like, spotted the strange events surrounding the tomb? Yeah, yeah. But the whole thing didn't go as planned. And so discouraged, they, they're going to Emmaus. Uh, where's your Emmaus? So the three days after the death of Jesus, they're going back to Emmaus. You think, why give up so quickly? It's, it's hard, but so quickly. I have a friend, you know, he starts to suspect that his team isn't going to win uh, when he's a spectator at a sports event. He likes to just leave the game and, and go home. So home is his Emmaus. And you think, well, what kind of fan are you? You know, he lets his disappointment and discouragement get the better of him. Like, you want to lecture him. Like, how can you abandon your, your team so quickly? And, and you think of, you know, I just think of a Mark Tardif. Like, that's not what he would do. Uh, that's not what a fan is supposed to do, right? Uh, a Leafs fan, you know, they don't get away with that kind of luxury. But, but my friend is discouraged and he goes home. And where, where's your Emmaus, you know, when you get discouraged? Uh, of course, we're, we're looking at this story from... The other side, you know, they're, they're in it. Uh, they're in it in this passage. And so, like, we know the Easter story. The two travelers don't. Like, we can make sense of it from the bigger picture. Uh, they can't. They wanted more. They expected more. They want a Messiah to restore the kingdom 
uh, to inspire them to overcome injustice. And uh, they wanted a powerful Messiah, right? One who would come through when they needed him, one who would do what they wanted. They wanted a powerful Messiah, not a weak, suffering one. Uh, but, but then something mysterious happens on this walk. As these two are dragging their feet along, uh, Jesus appears. Like, imagine that. Imagine Jesus appearing to you. Imagine it, right? Like, what would he look like, right? Uh, imagine that for yourself. And, and many of us can, can remember a profound encounter with God, but mysteriously, the two travelers don't have a clue uh, who they're talking to. Uh, it's like Jesus is unrecognizable. He just walks along silently, he listens patiently, he observes their arguments, he hears their confusion. Of course, he knew they were sad, but... Like, like he knew what they already knew and he knew what they didn't already know. But this is the humorous part. <laughs> he asks them what happened. He asks them what happened. So they confess their disappointment. We had hoped that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. And I, I can imagine the thinking behind that, right? Like, what's the point? You know, Jerusalem's the same state it was before we left Emmaus. You might as well go, might as well leave. And we had hoped for more from Jesus. Like, just, just pause. Like, imagine Jesus hearing that. Like, this is my interpretation, right? Like, almost with tears in his eyes. Like, do you have any idea, any idea what I just did for you, for you? Like, the cross, the defeat, the despair, the disillusionment when my father turned his face away from me. Like, do you have any idea? Like, personally, I would have lost it. Like, you don't have a clue. You don't have a clue what I just went through. But Jesus does not lose it. He, he gives them a clear, authoritative word. And parents and mothers today might get it better than the rest of us. Instead of losing it, this is probably one of the most humorous parts of the whole Bible. Jesus contains himself, and he says, how foolish you are. Wasn't it necessary? For the Messiah to suffer. They, they don't get what's necessary, right? It's, wasn't it necessary? And he goes through all the scriptures and uh, he explains how it was necessary. But all the while, they, they still can't see that they're talking with Jesus. It's like this guy has holes like, in his hands. Like, could that give it away like a little bit? Uh, Maybe Jesus' resurrection body was a lot different than his first body. Like, I don't know. Like, we, we need to ask what changed them? What took them out of their disillusionment, out of their despair, out of their discouragement? What opened their eyes to see Jesus? And, like, we know he taught them, and he taught them, and he taught them some more. And, like, seven miles is a long hike. Wow, that's a full day, right? And, and, and like, they like what he has to say. They say, stay the night. And he agrees after the seven mile hike to Emmaus, verse, 70, verse 35 says he was recognized by them when they broke the bread. All of a sudden, after seven miles of teaching, he's recognized in the eating. So it's like a personal thing, right? Sharing of a meal. It's in the eating that they discover who he is. And then he disappears just like that. Gone. Amazed by what occurred, they, they say as they're telling the story, like, weren't our hearts burning within us as he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? Weren't our hearts burning? And the encounter, the encounter, it just changed them fundamentally from discouragement 
and despair to these burnt, these burning hearts and from heaviness to this energetic enthusiasm. They take off and the text says they take off that very hour. And can you imagine how they just stuffed over the, you know, the leftover bread right into the pockets and they just bolt out the door right back where they came from, Jerusalem. And Jesus, he calls himself the great shepherd and we're taught to see God as a shepherd in passages like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. But after the events of the cross, the shepherd died. And at his resurrection, the first thing the shepherd does is go to his two scattered sheep wandering to Emmaus. Where is your Emmaus? You can't help but wonder, Jesus, like, why so much time with them, right? Like, why so much time? Like, you know, like, he could have, Jesus could have stuck with, you know, a room full of the core group, you know, those who stay in Jerusalem, like John and James. And then John and James can go talk to these two Emmaus people. No, like Jesus himself goes after these two and they're not high profile people. They're normal people. One is named Cleopas. Have you ever heard of him before? No, he's, he's, he's not a rock star. And the other one, like we don't even know uh, the name. Uh, Jesus knows their names. Uh, We never hear about these two sheep again, but Jesus hears their hearts. Jesus sees them. They're his sheep, right? And after the cross, as far as we can tell, like when when I'm looking at this, it looks like he spends more time here on this road with these two wanderers than with any other person or group after the resurrection. So like, why Jesus? These are just two people who seem to be wandering off and John 10, 27 says, my sheep listen to my voice and no one can snatch them from my hand. That's Jesus's words. You know, they have to get back into the fold. They are my sheep. I'd be tempted to think, like, don't you have other more important things to do, Jesus? Like, you know, like building of the kingdom of God, defeating Satan, like, don't you have speaking engagements, a tour maybe, like, is, isn't it time to maybe step back a bit or like hang out with your besties, the 11, like maybe on a hammock or something? Like you had quite a handful the previous month. Like take the better half of the day to take a nap maybe. Like Jesus know, knew how to nap, right? We have a story of that in the Bible. No, he doesn't do that. He takes the better part of a day, what we have here in the text, to walk with them, to break bread with them, to be with them, to be with these regular people. It strikes me that they... They see him in the personal act of the breaking of the bread. Isn't that interesting? Like he reveals himself in the personal thing rather than the intellectual thing, the teaching. Although the teaching did set their hearts on fire. But we, we, we have a call to do both, the personal thing and the teaching thing. And it's just interesting. He reveals himself to some disillusioned, despairing, and discouraged people in the personal thing. Uh, verse 35, Jesus was only recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Can we just stop talking over one another, please, for one minute, for one minute, 10 seconds even. I often think this to myself at our Tim Hortons missional family, like, sorry to throw you guys under the bus, whoever's here. You're great, really. Uh, but apart from Jesus, this gang would not be together. Age, you know, 20-somethings to 70-somethings. 
uh, all different people, different walks of life. Some are part of our church. Some you'll never see in a church on a Sunday morning. Uh, we can be as friendly as we want, but there's just too much baggage. They're not coming in, in those doors. Uh, one, one week, uh, I see Christ in everyone and in every conversation. And the next week, literally, I wonder if we're going to get kicked out of the Tim Hortons. Uh, it, it, it may not seem like it, but the Tim Hortons is church. It is. Like, there's no band, no 25-minute talk, no greeting team, no just conversation on the scriptures. People often wander out for a smoke or whatever. It's fine. And they come back and continue in the conversation. But the mystery of Jesus is that he reveals himself by his spirit in our personal life together in some way. Like it's, it's always a surprise. Like I, we never really know. And it, it kind of makes me think of this text where the Emmaus wanderers wrestle with the scriptures and mysteriously somehow Christ is in and he's among them uh, in this personal very personal way in, in the breaking of the bread. For, for us, there's uh, a mystery to it and there isn't. Like it's really just like uh, a sheet of paper and uh, that's, that's it, like with a little verse or two and, and we study that and it's not rocket science what we're doing. So with the scripture in one hand and a donut in the other, we experience the, the love of God and we encounter the risen Christ. And we sometimes say, uh, God should do more in my life. God should reveal himself. God should be more active uh, because we're, we feel like we're maybe getting a no from God or, or something something like that. And and like we just want to see God show up. And then he does show up somehow as we're walking along the road together. You, you see him in your own Tim Hortons, in your own Emmaus. Each, each of us can remember times like that. And some of us say, but I don't see Jesus in my life right now. And we get discouraged because of this or that reason. And you fill in the blank. The reasons of our hearts being discouraged are unique to all of us. We all have our triggers, right? Uh, you have your triggers. I have mine. And uh, I, I can't pretend to understand all of yours. And I don't want to try any try to say something to try to take them away. Uh, but but sometimes, you know, we just get discouraged and and. We, we feel like we've gotten no answer from God, or we feel like we've actually gotten a no from God. Uh, but what we get from God is yes. Uh, yes, the shepherd uh, is and, and will gather you. And yes, he will protect you. And yes, he will restore you as he did for our two travelers this morning. He pursues us when we wander. Think about it. Like, it's great news it's great news he pursues his kids god's our father so when a parent sees the danger associated like let's say with like a waterfall and and they say no you can't get that close the parent knows like some people like actually fell into that waterfall last week they slipped on the edge and they fell in but the six-year-old doesn't understand the big picture the six-year-old holds the kid back, or the, the parent holds the kid back. The parent says no. The parent is really saying yes to the child's life. And your father is saying yes to your life right now. So what's the point of this passage? If you're giving up now for some reason of discouragement, if there's something maybe you gave up on a long time ago, if Emmaus is not just a place you travel to, but it's a place you've been dwelling in for some time, 
Our story is about a shepherd chasing down two lost sheep. He doesn't want to lose any. He, he doesn't want to lose you, and he's not going to. The shepherd loves his sheep, and, and he loves you. And know this, he, he will come after you, whatever place you, you put yourself in. And maybe whatever box you've put him in, uh, he will come after you in your discouragement. That's what he does. And this is good news. Uh, discouraged, we, we often feel like giving up. Uh, we, we can't, we can see the box that we have got in, how he doesn't fit, but we can't see the big picture of what he's doing. Kind of like how Bill prayed uh, this morning. And in this story, when the two travelers can't see the big picture of all that God's doing, they just go to a mass. And Jesus is busy sa saving all of humanity and the rest of history. Uh, and they miss all of it. And then there's some work going on around them, right? Some women had, had mentioned that there was, there was things happening. And they ignore all this amazing work. And, and they, they head home. They head to Emmaus. And, and he meets them in their Emmaus. And he meets you. In your Emmaus, and, and he's willing to do that right now as we go to God in prayer. Let's let's pray. Thank you, God, for hearing us when we call, and hearing us when we are not calling, but we're kind of doing our own Emmaus thing. God, meet with each one of us right now. Uh, visit our minds. Uh, visit our our hearts. Our, our spirits speak your 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 presence and and your hope uh, into whatever area of our lives uh, feels like it's kind of been beaten down and, and we're struggling for hope. God, would you speak your comfort? Would you speak your peace? Would you speak your love? In and through Jesus, we pray. Amen.